Fortnite or what's the other big one that people like? Um, the or Overwatch. Oh yeah. Um, it's like it's the difference between playing a game where mostly it's about like you know tactics and you know mastering a, a you know reaction oh. times and things like that versus like you know figuring out what your cool character's superpowers are and and using them to optimal advantage in a particular arena. Kyle, you are absolutely making me feel my age, even though I'm only a few years older than you. And since talking about nerd times of old is something that is making me feel my own bones decay from the inside out, you're probably listening to the Big Bang Theory theory. Hi, this is Nick. And I'm Kyle. And uh, again, never played Counter-Strike. Could couldn't remember what Overwatch was for a second, but I got Oh, God, you said said the word again, Kyle, Counter-Strike, and every time I've got this, you know, it was was a luxury. I didn't have the money that I should have had to to afford it, but I've got this gigantic framed portrait of myself just hanging next to me, and every time you say the CS word, I watch (laughs) it grow like five years older, and that is because um, I am 38, and... I first played Counter-Strike at my local internet cafe slash den of slime because uh, high-speed internet connections were rare enough when I was in high school that a bunch of dorks would go to the computer store in the mall and sit side-by-side to play EverQuest, which is also where I uh, had my first hardcore PC gaming experiences in in multiplayer deathmatch games. And I played Counter-Strike, like, a lot when it first came out, when it was first designed as a fan-made mod for for Half-Life, in that it's ongoing, and, like, all these other games, like, team-based shooters have come out. But it's, like... Like, someday children are going to come to me and ask me where all the dinosaur bones are, since I seem to know everything else (laughs) about things long dead and buried, and, oh, God, we, I don't know, Kyle, you have to move us towards what we actually talk about, because, no, I'm not okay, (laughs) it's, I just, my whole life is flashing before my eyes, which I know is supposed to happen right before you die, so this, it's like that, it's like that meme, it's like, I'm seeing your whole life flash before your eyes, gee, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of counter-strike, Jesus, that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of, you know, or counter-strike, uh, yes, I get it, um, yeah. Okay. No shame. It's fine. Uh, every week we watch the sh- or every two weeks we watch an episode of the show. We don't know why we do it. We have tried to explain, but everything we say is a lie. Actually, only one of us is a liar. The other one of us can only tell the truth. But good luck figuring out which is which when you can't ask us direct questions. And today's episode, of the Big Bang Theory, is called "Back to You, Nick." Ooh. Today's episode is season six, episode nine, the parking spot escalation. And we've gone totally off the rails with how often or if we rate these episodes or how we do it before, after, whatever. Uh, So all that thrown to the wind. um, I'm afraid I have to report (laughs) that this might be a good episode. Yeah, okay. That's fair. I will give you that. It it definitely had brought some chuckles to me. Yes. At first, I was was ready to hate it because... uh, it becomes clear very early on that this whole episode is going to be about Sheldon and Wallowitz fighting over who gets to use a parking spot. And I'm like, 
good grief. Like, what a, a dork, awful premise. But what I found myself instead refreshed by was that it it really just stuck to that premise. It wasn't like they, they start talking about a parking spot and Penny is like, oh, yeah, I remember the time that I uh, had to do an acting job in a parking spot. I got $50 and left without my underwear. <laughs> and, and then it talks about, like, her and Leonard's relationship. No, it's just about the parking spot the entire time. And you know what? There's a B-plot uh, where um, the ladies, particularly Amy and Bernadette, start to, to spar over whose spouse has the metaphorically partner, only one uh, of them is who, whose partner right i put that in my notes too but anyway <laughs> thank you uh, but whose partner has the the um figuratively bigger dick and it all comes back to who deserves the parking spot and so the partners get invested in this based on their own separate argument and i was like we have a b plot that is like directly just dovetailing beautifully Both- with the a plot both of these both of these scenarios were actually filmed must have been at the same time. Yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't feel like they just had two pots of jokes or scenarios that they kind of threw together, you know, <laughs> cuz so many of these episodes, yeah, when especially when the the men are separated from the women, like it's like family guy. You know, it's like you just have a a barrel of scenes and you can paste them together in almost any order and the plot is so inconsequential that they're probably going to fit. But this felt like a well-constructed episode. And, like, I'm not going to tell anyone that it was great television. I didn't find myself a-cackling with laughter. But, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it even it even came down to the... I mean, it even did the thing where it comes down to, like, the actual emotional stakes of the episode. Like, it's not really about the parking spot. It's about their insecurities about, you know... Yeah. Uh, Sheldon is Sheldon doesn't like that Wallowitz is you know briefly more famous than him for having gone into space and that's why the show used an appropriate metaphor for the first time I can think of. Oh, Kyle, are you okay? I oh I feel great. (laughs) Like here's okay. My sleep schedule has been just nuts, and so I'm trying so hard to uh, only have a little bit of coffee in the morning and then nothing and if i get tired later i'm tired i gotta deal with it and i was worried coming into this episode like that low energy i'm still trying to fight that off it's not gonna be helpful but But i feel reinvigorated by quality television yeah i can hear it um so i guess i mean we kind of have already summarized the episode but to put like a few more pieces in here also uh this episode following uh the <laughs> the suggestion of the last one filthy humor in this one they're they're talking about bald snatch in this one that's oh, what yeah. they want you to talk about multiple also uh well we'll get to it later on but the, it, it raises a weird question um but so the whole episode starts that the dudes are in the the university cafeteria and um they're just a chattering. Raj is obsessed with whether mummies are the same things as zombies. And that was another thing that I was so annoyed by the conversation when it started. But as they keep like poking at it throughout the episode, I was like, that's real nerd shit. I, this yeah, is another one of true. those things. Yeah. Where I, like, I felt annoyed because it revealed too much, but yeah, that was, that was like legit nerd shit. Um, 
But they're arguing about that, and Wallowitz enters the scene, and he's like, boy, oh boy, I got this great parking spot. Sheldon immediately realizes, wait, that's my parking spot, actually. That's exactly where my spot is. And Wallowitz, you know, hasn't done anything wrong and very calmly explains. It's like, well, you don't drive or have a car, so you don't need it. Like, you've never used it. Uh, and this begins the battle where each of them tries to prove that just because someone doesn't need or use something doesn't mean it's not important to them. And this starts with Sheldon stealing Wallowitz's collectible Iron Man helmet, uh, which he, he wears around for a while. Uh, later on, uh, the the final... Well, the, no, the, the penultimate uh, uh, test is Wallowitz goes to the, uh, the Leonard and Sheldon's apartment and Sheldon finds him there naked sitting in his uh, spot uh, with his laptop in his with Sheldon's laptop in his lap uh, and then Sheldon returns that in kind when they're back at the parking spot uh, what might I'm not confident but looks like it could be an outside location I'm <laughs> actually I don't really think it was but there was grass um, and Wallowitz is trying to park in his spot where uh, Sheldon has now physically blocked him by saying, oh, look, I'm doing my research and thinking out here, so I'm technically using this spot. And while Wallowitz is distracted, uh, Sheldon takes off all his clothes and gets in and puts his naked butt inside of Wallowitz's brand new car. That is most of the A-plot dealt with. B-plot starts with, and here's where the filth comes in. Uh, the ladies are in the apartment building walking up the stairs, and, oh boy, oh boy, they just took Amy for her very first bikini waxing. Whoa! Uh, and they talk about how long it took. Uh, and how, boy, Amy says, I feel five pounds lighter. And Bernadette goes, only five pounds? And Kyle, we need to stop here for a moment. Because uh, okay. last episode, we had innocent, sweet, um, slowly... Sheldon. Oh, yeah, sorry, Sheldon glacially moving away from what has up to this point been seemed like pretty clear asexuality like zero interest in uh or attraction to anyone and that amy is just kind of like getting closer by familiarity uh but yeah last episode he's pantomiming up, up a deviled penny sucking off some 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 british boy uh, and when I say boy, I mean like at least 19, not like a literal boy. Uh, but, um, and then this episode, uh, oh yeah, and that seemed like, that seemed wild to me. In this episode, they're now talking about, uh, and not even like just kind of implicitly, they're like, Amy. How hairy it must be down there. Exactly. Not just how, like, you had so much hair that we're in disbelief. So much that this is the longest this has ever taken. That it took multiple attempts and that we cannot believe that, like, you do not, like, how could five pounds be as light of weight as you feel lifted? And this is a joke where I feel like in a normal Big Bang Theory episode would be obliquely referenced and moved on. So all the, all the, the mamas and dadas out there watching the show who don't want to get too riled up can just raise an eyebrow and be like, I think 
Maybe she got a bikini wax. That's a weird thing for Amy to do. And instead it's like, Amy, oh my god, your vagina is insane. And we just, what a revelation. And the focus on it. Uh, oh, and this uh, this isn't relevant to the plot. But later, Amy then, uh, after the car fight with Wallowitz, uh Well, actually, before the car fight with Wallowitz, when, when they're, they're in Amy's car gets in the back and says, Sheldon, I have something I want to show you. So she can show off to him her bare vagina, uh, to which he comments, oh, a lot of Band-Aids. And like, but he's not phased. Is this something Amy's been doing for a while now? Or is this how detached Sheldon is? Like, I, I, I really do not know. Because like, I thought... Like, this was going to be, like, a big groundbreaking moment where Amy is like, finally, I'm going to fuck a guy in the back of my car. And instead, she she just is like, Sheldon, look. Look at me. Look at me, Sheldon. Look. No, eyes here. This is my vagina, Sheldon. And Sheldon's like, what do you know? And that's the end of the scene. And th- they move on as if life is... This... What happened? What happened, Kyle? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a whole. It's definitely a. Um, it's a whole different thing, isn't it? Um, it really sort of gets out of like. Like at the bikini wax part, I didn't feel like <clears throat> it was totally off the rails yet, but it did start to feel like oh, this episode is really like uh, is really going for it around the time when like. Uh, Bernadette and Amy really start to get into a fight because you realize that like it's getting, you know, as uh, as arguments between women are what to do, it gets really vicious really fast. Uh, and uh, how does it go? It's like it starts out by like being uh, being like, the- well, you know, I that like it starts out with them trying to be accommodating towards each other. Well, Sheldon is Amy's like Sheldon is obviously overreacting and and uh, and. Uh, uh, Bernadette's like, yeah, but it's not, it's not really his, it's like, they really shouldn't have given his parking spot to wallow. It's, and, and Amy's like, yeah, let's just, uh, let's just let him have his moment in the sun. Exactly. And, and then it, and then there's like a, an audible, you can almost hear the click, you know, and it's good. It's good. That's escal- like the escalation, like makes sense and is satisfying because, uh, I don't know. They, I don't remember like the next few, but basically, uh, uh, oh, I remember that what, I remember the... Bern- yeah, I remember Bernadette being like uh uh I mean most of his most of his work is hypothetical and unproven. It's like uh, well and I think I think Amy says, "Yes, and everyone should be very proud of uh Wallowitz going to space thereby proving that you can be completely uh incompetent and unqualified and still be an astronaut." Well, yeah, so that is that's the blow up for me. I think where the sharp turn happened was they're still being polite, but Amy says, uh, well, you know, Wallowitz has been to space, and that's it. He's not going back. Sheldon is going to be a genius for the rest of his life. Yes. <laughs> and that was just, like, and that was, um, I don't even think Amy was trying to be catty yet. But, yeah, like, the uh, the casualness with which she says that, like, yeah, like... Of course, I got the better deal here. Like, 
not, not just just facts or facts, lady. And oh, that I, that I ruled. Think what, I think what yeah, I think what also makes it work is that as an audience surrogate, Penny is standing in the background, just trying desperately to defute, like seeing where this is going, and trying desperately to change the subject. So she's just babbling about uh, her. Yeah past experiences with bikini waxes we've all been there. not not this but we've all been in the like watching two of our friends slowly get it i know nick has because i did it to him once but um i imagine other people have been in the of watching two of their friends slowly escalate into a fight that is getting more and more out of hand while you are powerless to de-escalate oh, yeah. things and um it, and, it is uh, fun to watch her futilely try to veer the conversation back towards bikini waxing <laughs> Yeah, I think, and then the moment it really is uh, is Bernadette says, "Oh, I think you're just upset because your sex life, much like all of uh, all of Sheldon's research, is still entirely hypothetical." Well, yeah, and so that I thought was another like damn kind of moment. No, that's literally, Penny says, "I think damn." Well, and um, so yeah, but so then later when it gets to Amy and Sheldon in the back of the car, I kind of thought that was her going over the line to be like Bernadette's telling me it's all theoretical huh well I'll, I'll show her this I'm gonna fucking put Sheldon's cock in my mouth ha 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 um and then in the next scene I thought and maybe it's just because she was worked up I thought she almost had like sex hair no nothing and so yeah it, it really felt like this was all building towards like they're gonna do it finally and not like I really want that necessarily, because I still think it's weird that cause Sheldon seems just completely uninterested. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that escalation during the fight was going to, to be Amy having to escalate. And it really felt like it was going that way. And instead, yeah, it's like Sheldon had a Jenny Forrest Gump moment and was just like, ah, oh, vagina. And well, no, go- I. Okay, yeah, you're. I'm sure, like, if they're, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure, who knows, but I assume that if they keep coming back to this well, that by the end of the season, we will have had some, uh, some yeah. real progress with it. Well, I think you're right, and I hope by the time that happens, um, they figure out a way to explain why Sheldon is interested in that all of a sudden. Like, what, like oh, no, oh, I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be interested. I predict Amy will like tie him to a chair and give him drugs, you know, that cause an, uh, an autonomous reaction beyond his control. Yeah. That yeah. seems like more the way things are headed. Yeah, it really does. Amy is like running out of options. Um, and why she sticks with Sheldon. Uh, oh, I mean, maybe, maybe she's that enamored by genius. I don't know, but whatever. But, I mean, that wraps up most of the episode. Something well, I don't think said, either of us have mentioned oh, yet. Ahead. Oh, is that uh, during um, one of the, the fights between Amy and uh, uh, Bernie, I think two of them are coming back from shopping or something, some sort of outing, and sees the other. And so they start getting into it. And Amy tries to hit Bernadette with her, her, her heavy peg. I thought this was actually a funny joke. Uh, misses and blasts Penny in the face, uh, and Penny's like, "Oh my God, what did you have in there?" And she's like, "Not, not really anything, you know. Like, uh, you know, I have my keys and uh, a little bit of cash and this gigantic can full of change that I've been meaning to take to the bank. Uh, just that was a for me. Got the 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 one solid laugh 
and then not relevant to the plot in any way, but still funny is totally breaks Penny's nose. And at the end, there's a scene where the, the two couples have, have got back together and all is well. And Penny is serving them with her raccoon eyes and, and stitched up uh, schnoz. <sighs> yeah. And then that's, that's really about it. I don't know. I, uh, Oh, the, well, the, the apology at the end itself is kind of silly because uh, it, it looks like Raj talked uh, Wallowitz into apologizing and then Sheldon refuses to accept the apology because he wants to even more graciously apologize and then get recognition for that. So he's he's still our Sheldon. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh... I mean, I guess uh, the only thing that I'll add is uh, the reason that uh, that um, I mean, it's a little. This is one of those things that in real life would be very fucked up, but because it's a sitcom, is actually just totally funny. Because like, yeah, uh, Amy really does haul off and try to hit Bernadette like smack in the face with her purse. Oh, Hard yeah. it would be an assault knows. either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah but uh, but it's fine. It's a TV show. Who are we to Who are we to get? I'm not gonna get bent out of shape over that. But the reason she's so upset is because her car has been towed because right. she had it parked in the parking space. And Bernadette does what I think is a very like brilliant display of passive aggression because she's like, your car was parked in a spot? What spot? It's like it couldn't be Sheldon's spot because Sheldon doesn't have a spot. Are you sure you weren't parked in Wallowitz's spot? And she's like, just just tell your boyfriend that that he owes me 200 bucks for it. Well, that doesn't make sense either. Cause he's not the one who had the car towed. I'm the one who had the car towed. And it's just like the delight that Bernadette takes in being evil in that yes. moment is, is life. It's very good. Well, and uh, there's just a tiny follow-up bit to it too, where Amy expresses concern about it having a big scratch on it. And she's like, Oh God, like I hope that tow company is going to be able to reimburse them for that and bernadette's like yeah it wasn't the tow company it's like how do you know that because it was me yes uh yeah you know like bernadette when she first entered the the show you know i still don't really think they totally know what they're doing with her but like at first it was like okay so she also has advanced degree in the hard sciences and a big nerd and they've left that alone. Uh, oh, is she like a really weird nerd with her own unique interests? Not at all. She's got kind of a strange family that is referenced every now and then. But I think where they should go, and who knows how the show will turn out. It's not like it's been done for years. Uh, is that Bernadette just becomes a goblin. That like more and more she's just around causing mischief and like rubbing her hands together. And that's... Because every time she does something evil, yes, it, it makes it my is, now that heart I think go about a flutter. It, it's, it's weird because they have this sort of uh, uh, this is a uh, well, you know what? That's fine. This sort of relates to my uh, what will probably be my uh, recommendation, but it's fine. It's a but otherwise, this is going to be a weird. Me- but they almost have like a uh, a uh, Spock and Kirk and Bones, like they're a classic Trinity in that like. Amy is like sort of hyper logical in like a weird like and emotionally just like not like cold like Sheldon is but just like 
she's just like she's too much in her head. Amy is too much in her head, and then Bernadette is just like, despite being very smart, it's just like a creature of pure id. And the interactions between the two of them mostly serve to like make Penny look normal, which I think is like useful because I think when uh, when she's hanging out with the dudes by herself, she looks less she feels less like a regular at the beginning of the show she felt less like a regular person and the more time she spends like sort of juxtaposed between these two characters it's like oh penny is kind of the voice of reason at least in that friend group yeah between the three of them she's um, the most sane yeah like you've brought up and it's hard not to agree that she might be herself some sort of evil sociopath based on the the references to all the people she's tortured in her past. But uh, that said, whether she is genuinely sociable or has had to learn all of those rules uh, to better stalk her prey, she she does know how to just at a baseline interact with people. And I guess that is like the one weird thing about Bernadette is uh, she's mostly normal, but it's like, I don't know, so, so... Uh, infatuated with wallowitz and totally gets all up into his stuff like this that yeah i don't know it's i i like this episode but now the more we talk about it the more i'm annoyed that bernadette doesn't have more of her own character because i really like her and when she gets to do stuff it's great and i want more of it harumph um i mean instead she just has a and this is true of i feel like raj she just has a collection of characteristics that are appropriate to whatever episode they need her to have like whatever characteristics they need her to have in the episode yeah. Like, uh, she hates children? Did we ever come back to that? We still haven't figured out what's no, going on with that? No, that's just been left. Uh, something that I liked also, I guess, before we move on, um, that Raj got no credit for in this episode is, like, he's always, like, made fun of as being, like, effeminate and domestic and implied to be gay. Uh, and... At the same time, in this episode, he is the only one of of the nerds that can be like, "Look, this is just petty bullshit." And like at the end, when them they're having their little apology off, Wallowitz uh, doesn't want to concede to <laughs> Sheldon's grander apology, uh, but instead, Raj is there just to be like, "He's Mom. gonna do this. Just, just let it go." And like how it is in their group that and i'm thinking about this because like when you said that bernadette is whatever collection of traits she needs to be like it kind of feels uh like that's like what happened with raj in this episode at the same time is that like yes i would agree with that yeah like he's he is otherwise i think not the the sociable helper guy uh and these other traits didn't even really that I was like that he's always made fun of didn't really even come into play instead he is suddenly like the very chill reasonable guy which isn't out of character but like Raj I I'm I it's I'm frustrated that I missed the days when you were a drunk asshole because <laughs> then at least I knew who you were man but although the the thinking that mummies are zombies thing still feels pretty on brand for him yeah yeah Man, now I want to have that argument, but I can't. I can't let it happen. Not here. Not now. No, it's... (laughs) The real zombie is the argument about whether mummies are zombies. Once you... Once it's inside your head, you can't get... Did you ever watch that movie? Uh, Oh, crap. 
it, that this is not going to be helpful. It's not Pontypool, is it? it? That's exactly what I'm thinking. Oh, nailed it! Nailed it! Oh, oh, oh! That shows you how much, dear listeners, all four of you, this is how much Nick and I are on a vibe, as I can say. Uh, once it's in your head, you know, it's like zombies. Uh, Kyle, you ever watch that thing. movie? I don't even think you like, and I watched that movie together. I'm surprised no, you even not. know what it is. But that was like, yeah, nice. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, that was it. Good job. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, all right. Well, I guess we have to jointly recommend Pontypool now. But um, no, uh, you know, I've got nothing else I want to talk about with the episode. But Kyle, anything else you want to get to before we move on? Uh, oh yeah. So the button of this, uh, you know, this episode was weird because it felt like it had two buttons. The first button is Penny being like, "It's good that you're all still friends, but my nose is broken. I have two black eyes." Yes. Um, which was fine. But then the actual button of the episode is Sheldon going to the dry cleaner. And and trying to explain to the dry cleaner, I need this cushion washed because a naked man sat on it bare-assed. And I need to understand that you understand the consequences of that, um, which is one of the most relatable things Sheldon has ever done. Because he's like, I'm not saying that Wallowitz took a shit on this sofa cushion, but his naked, dirty man-ass definitely touched it. And that means that we all know... What's been done to this couch cushion? I need you to molecularly treat it. Well, and I took these notes, but I couldn't remember the context for the second stinger scene. And so I've just been staring at that this whole time we've been talking, trying to remember why I wrote down the words anal autograph and colon calling card. <laughs> but those are the two those are the two ways uh, Sheldon describes, um, yeah, uh, Wallowitz's trace elements. And uh, yeah, all 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 in front of a nonplussed dry cleaner who's like, "Hey, is Thursday good, man?" Do 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 again, Bob. Oh, thank yep. you. <laughs> no, I got your back. Yes. All right. Um, let's yeah, I don't know anything else. Of the week. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, After you. Okay, so I have one queued up. I'm going to give a very quick mini recommendation first because I know I've recommended it before, but oh my god. After I pre-ordered it four years ago, uh, last week, I learned that that Bayonetta 3 (laughs) finally is coming out this October, which is also the same month as my birthday, same month as Halloween. Basically, this October is going to be the best of my life, and I'll have nothing to look forward to after that. Um, And so I've been replaying... Go ahead. Hmm, Sorry? It just makes me nervous how excited you are for Bayonetta 3, because it's not like the third game in a series has never been a letdown before. Oh, no, it's going to be fantastic. Everything is always great, and I have nothing to worry about. Uh, Please well, take all of your needs to bounce back from all of your life problems on this game being perfect. That, there's no yeah. way that can backfire. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is coming out uh, this week, and boy, if that, doesn't, if that doesn't turn my entire life around, Kyle, I don't know what I'm going to do. I really, I do not know what I'm going to do. I, God, I hope. God, I really hope that fucking Monolith Soft pulls this one off. They don't know how much I'm counting on them. Oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, but the Bayonetta games, um, they're fun. And the mini recommendation I'm going to say is, I know I've talked about them before at length, and uh, the word... I, I, I was talking to somebody, someone I didn't really know at a party once, and Bayonetta come up, came up, and he's like, oh my god, that game like is obviously for perverts. And I couldn't say, no, it's not, uh, because it is. But what's more important is, hey, I'm one of those perverts. Uh, I accept that. And as, I, as I'm replaying Bayonetta in anticipation of this third one coming out, I think the word I would use to describe them uh, is, is shameless. 
because uh, like they just don't give a fuck about how stupid and horny it is and that's I think what makes it fun there's never a part of it where like they're like oh god like look what we got away with or like it's it's all very like tongue-in-cheek but it also knows exactly what it's doing and I love it like just playing even the first hour of the first game last night I was like laughing out loud at how ridiculous it is um and I think that's also something that other people that don't like it maybe they don't get it or maybe they get it and it's still not for them it's like as horny as it is like it's not meant to be like I don't know titillating for its own sake like it's all just a big it's like a 60s swinging comedy is what it feels like to me including her signature beehive hairdo so that's the mini recommendation but the actual recommendation um is when i saw mandy for the first time it was promoted as being from the same mind that bought brought you beyond the black rainbow and i was like that's not helpful i've never heard of that that's not I don't know what that is. Uh, This last week, I watched Beyond the Black Rainbow. And hey, guys, guess what? Now I know what it is. It's a movie. (laughs) This whole time. Sorry? Does it rock? (sighs) It rolls. (laughs) That's Mandy Rocks. Uh, What I will say is that Beyond the Black Rainbow, not as good as Mandy. Gotta be honest, it's just not. Not for me, anyway. But the reason I'm recommending it is that... um, Similar to Mandy, maybe even more so than in Mandy, uh, the director, and I'm still not sure how to pronounce his name, actually. It's like Panos Cosmatos. I probably have that somehow wrong. But anyway, uh, watching Beyond the Black Rainbow, like what is 100% clear is like he absolutely, I, I think he's only directed two movies. I was looking at his Wikipedia before we started, and it's it's unbelievable because like he has such an incredible grasp on what he uh wants to visually depict like that's so much of like it's it's, it's such like a douchey thing to say but it really seems like really fully taking advantage of the medium where most of the plot and progression of the films isn't done through any real um exposition or at least like the very bare minimum necessary to move to the next scene. Um, everything else is just like a visual experience. And in a way, uh, this is also something that's really obnoxious, but I think needs to be addressed. You know, like some people, if they see something, that's like really far out. They'll be like, oh man, what kind of drugs must they have been on to make that? And between... Beyond the Black Rainbow and Mandy. Yeah, I don't think you have to ask. I think they're pretty, they acknowledge exactly what drugs they're using. Well, but but what I was going to say, Kyle, is like, yeah, so like, you watch these and it's like, surely this is the mind of someone that has gone through an intense, like, hallucinogenic experience and now knows how to put that on film. But if there's anything that is, like not even subtext with that is plain as day in both of his films is that consuming any sort of hallucinogen will turn you into a freak nasty murder monster <laughs> that's like <laughs> so i don't know how he feels about it honestly because yeah watching it it's like like hey i've have very limited experience with hallucinogens but some and 
when watching Mandy, I can be like, oh, like this does feel like a lot of the things you start to feel like when when you're tripping. Um, and that's incredible, but also like never a clearer anti-drug message in a movie. Like it's, it, that's it. Yeah. And beyond the black rainbow uh, also. And so what, and the, the criticism I'll add, because I haven't really talked about the plot at all. And that is because I think the flaw with beyond the black rainbow is maybe, maybe he trimmed a little bit too much. Um, the, the basic plot is that, um, can't remember the exact year, but it's like early mid eighties. Uh, there is this that new weird amorphous Stranger Things time. It's, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like doesn't even necessarily have to have a date on it because all the visuals and the just the mood make it so clear. But yeah, that amorphous time. Uh, there is this new age commune, and the film starts with kind of a. Uh, like an orientation welcoming video for the commune. Um, and then cut to uh, uh, a young woman, girl. I couldn't tell how old she is, but like still some like teenish is being kept in a room, uh, essentially a cell, asked questions uh, at, 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 at length. And it's, pretty soon established that she has some sort of psychic power and I'll leave it at that because I don't want to spoil any of the rest of the plot but you know when I say it takes place in the mid 80s and it takes place in this commune it may as well have taken place in space like that's like it's so trimmed down that like the settings I think are there for like a really great visual aesthetic but the story elements are so bare like they don't really use the setting in a way except for like right near the end that really matters. And I don't mean that's like necessarily bad. It's just like, it's, it's there's so little t- like, okay, p- put it another way. Uh, this is a movie where after I watched it, I checked the Wikipedia to make sure that I actually understood what I just saw and whoo, sweat off my brow. Yeah, I got it. But like there are like relationships and specific events that were like in the Wikipedia page where I was like, it makes 100% that that sense that that would happen. I did not see that in the movie, nor was that talked about in the movie. That is like, I think the most logical assumption you can make in the movie, but like there are relationships between characters to me that weren't clear because they're never really well established other yeah. than that. These two I people mean, need to be in this room for this to happen. I mean, this isn't, this isn't to take away from your, uh, your un- like, and I should say I haven't even I've I started watching it, but it was it was I was like, oh, this is gonna, this is going to take more attention than I have to give it right yes. now. So I stopped watching it. Uh, although now I'm going to go back to it maybe tonight or something. Um, anyway, uh, like it was his first movie, I think his first feature length movie. Anyway, I think so, so that makes so that makes sense. That's a little more uh, that it you know it it might he might have gone a little bit overboard. Uh, and also, I think it's also just like an homage to like you know something like Carrie or Firestarter, which are movies that like well not even Carrie, I think explicitly Firestarter, which I've never seen. So it's like it's sort of I feel like I felt this way a little bit with Mandy too, actually, which is like the story is sort of like a monomyth built on the assumption that you've seen like not even necessarily movies, but like you're just familiar with the overall vibe that it's going for, so it doesn't mm-hmm. have to explain like you know the specifics to you 
So I got that a little bit in Mandy because it's like it's like there was it wasn't like there was it's not like in a you know sometimes it's good or sometimes it's bad but it's not like in Mandy there's like a moment where it's like this is an explicit callback to this movie that you liked when you were a kid yeah right but it like is, when, it when is. the the acid hellbikers show up they are not from Hellraiser but you can look at them and be like god damn those are absolutely cenobites aren't they <laughs> yeah you know and the chainsaw fight is not the chainsaw fight from uh texas chainsaw massacre 2 but it's still a chainsaw fight and you're like I, there's no way that this is not all somehow operating on the same wavelength but um uh anyway yeah well i think yeah it's like this the story is there for everything else to kind of be pasted onto and that it's well, just like if it's just like it's like basically what i'm saying is like i feel like with his movies he's like do you like these other movies or other things then just watch this one and, you know, just vibe along with it. Yeah. Well, and so that's ultimately why I'm going to recommend it is, like I said, I don't think it's as good as Mandy. Mandy um, really, I, I mean, I just love that movie. I'll just, just leave it alone at that. But uh, it's, like I said, it's a little too stripped down. Um, it's pretty slow, but not slow in a bad way, like slow in a way that really, I think, establishes the mood. And... Uh, Something that's been in my head a lot the last few days, and I think maybe not coincidentally, is uh, from from Peep Show Super Hans getting some chance to make music in the stage and holding down the key and saying, "The longer the note, the longer the dread," <laughs> or like, or like the, the 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 more dread. And I feel like that's a joke, like for the sake of that scene. But like for Beyond the Black Rainbow, like I think like <laughs> it. The, how slow it moves and how like oppressive that feels is part of the vibe and so I, I say that not as a criticism but like that's I think a necessary element but yeah just not as not as um, peppy as Mandy but for for a reason so anyway yeah Beyond the Black Rainbow uh, it's not going to be for everybody but if, if you want to have a weird moody time it's great so yeah Kyle your turn Ah, dang it, Nick! You just as this is why I let you go first because while you're while you're talking and I get the vibe of talking to you, it sort of jogs my brain for where I want to go. Because originally, yes. you know, uh, so I'm gonna give a co- couple of quick shout-outs and then I'm gonna move to the thing that you have you have pushed me towards recommending. Uh, so, um, first off, uh, I was watching the newest Star Trek show and. It has the newest Star Trek show has a lot of callbacks to original Star Trek, uh, including very specific episodes of that show. So after watching it, I went back for the first time in ever and I watched some original Star Trek episodes that I'd never seen before. And uh, Star Trek's unironically like everybody who you I mean, you either like Star Trek or you don't. And it's fine if you don't like Star Trek, if you're just like not my thing, not my kind of nerd show. uh, Totally fine. But the weird thing is. I love Star Trek, but I always kind of kept a separate space for original Trek because I was like, well, that's that's sort of the cheesy, you know, sort of uh, stuff that inspired the stuff that I like. But it on itself, you know, I feel similarly about Doctor Who. It's like, it's like, yes, I like stuff that, you know, it, it eventually turned into, but I don't like the original stuff. It's too hokey and corny. Mm-hmm. But that was wrong. I was just wrong. I mean, there are, <laughs> let's be clear. There are definitely hokey, corny episodes of Star Trek, but there are also just like legit good solid episodes of star trek the original series that 
totally earned the reputation that show has and you can see how it how everything good followed just because those episodes were so friggin good um so there's that i also soft recommend uh what were you were talking about uh bayonetta and you were like yes it's horny but it's my kind of horny Uh, i'm having a similar vibe i'm watching the show on netflix that's actually a um I don't even know how to – it's basically uh, – it's called Bastard, and I remember okay. Bastard being like a huge deal in like the early 90s when I – it was like one of the first manga to come to the United States and be trans – like officially licensed and translated. I just – I have to interrupt real quick. That space where you were trying to remember the name of the thing you are going to say, I was like, what – weird window into kyle's horniness am i about to learn about i i'd never have felt more suspense in my life <laughs> so continue no it's i mean it's just so bastard it's uh it's you know it's an anime but it's very much an anime that like was created by a guy who's like i love dungeons and dragons and i love heavy metal two things that of course have never been combined before and uh i am going to make a uh you know, a TV show that's basically just about a, you know, uh, a horny, overpowered wizard just, you know, going around and being kind of a dick in his, you know, harem of ridiculously attractive, you know, large-breasted hangers-on and the adventures they have fighting, like, evil and dragons in a post-apocalyptic world. And it's great. If it were trying, if it had even the slightest bit of a serious tone... Uh, and it's not a comedy, but I just mean it knows what it is. Yes. And if it were, like, even sli- the slightest bit more self-serious, it would be, like, you know, it would feel like bad fan fiction or unwatchable. But because it's just so, like, right, it hits just the right tone of, like, uh, yes, we know it makes no sense that any of these characters are wearing the outfits that they're wearing. But, you know, they are. And even the dude, it's, like, it's, like, so the dude is an evil wizard who almost took over the world and he has been locked inside a like a a kid like he he was defeated and his spirit was trapped into a kid and he can be transformed back into that person but only if a pure-hearted uh this part's in brackets but it seems to be a requirement incredibly stacked virgin <laughs> kisses him on the lips and so uh, so he's, you know, it's just like, oh no, the evil Hydra monster is coming. What shall we do? And it's like, well, it's embarrassing, but I guess we have to kiss the 14 year old again. And the second we kiss the 14 year old, he turns into like a six, five jacked, like Dark naked Schneider! man yeah, with like the best heavy metal mane that you could yeah. possibly just like Ronnie Dane, uh, Ronnie James Dio's like ideal haircut. Um, It it took me several minutes, by the way, to realize you were talking about Bastard, something I'd actually seen. Like, for the first several minutes, I thought you were talking about Berserk, and I was like, I know we already talked about this, but if this is what makes him horny, so be it. But, yeah, so just... Anyway. No, Bastard. Uh, You know, I haven't even finished it yet, but it is is fun. But neither of those is my recommendation. My actual recommendation uh, uh, for, as a, you know, maybe as a watch-along with Beyond the Black Rainbow, if you're looking for uh, significant debuts and sort of, you know, horror whatever by people who were really groundbreaking, uh, I am going to recommend what I watched for the first time recently, uh, House of 1000 Corpses. Oh my goodness. All right. I am buckled in. (laughs) So uh, House of 1000 Corpses came out in 2003. It was the first movie Rob Zombie had ever made. I think he had made music videos before that quite a bit, but... um, 
This was his first feature-length film. Uh, the obvious thing to say about it is that it's like a horror film. But, you know, watching it... Uh, and it, it's been this way with all of his movies. It's not... It is both very horrific, but not as like... Like, it's it's gory and it's splattery and it's bloody. But I always come out expecting that it's going to be like uh, Saw or, uh, you know, Hostile. Because that's sort of my baseline for, like bloody horror that sort of makes oh, me uncomfortable like and actual want to watch torture it. porn yes that's you know and that's just that's it's that's not at all that's not even close to what no. it is um instead what it is is it's just like a weird like adam's family-esque almost comedy about a happy family who lives in their dilapidated old house who just happened to all be you know it's never clearly explained at least not in the i realize that there are follow-up movies in this franchise, but I don't know how much they build out the mythology, but the first movie, you know, it, it gives you hints that, um, that this whole town is built on the site where like a crazy, like mental hospital used to operate where uh, like profane experiments were done on people's brains, but we don't actually know like how much impact that has on any of the characters that you meet until the end. What we just know is that in this house, there are, uh, there's this, family of people that you the second you meet them you know they're not right like you know oh there's something deeply strange and upsetting about all of these people but then you ask yourself well you know does that mean they're monsters does that mean they're murderers or am i just a classist person who just you know doesn't doesn't trust rednecks and eccentrics and no they're they're psychopathic murder monsters but they're just so they're like a charming family it's literally it's like what if the monsters or the adams family like really did like you know chain people up and eat them um (laughs) which they did of course but not on the show yes and so uh it's told from the perspective of like a group of teenagers who uh or maybe college kids who i mean this part is all obviously a callback to a bunch of other horror movies but they're you know they're going on a road trip they come across this town they hear about you know they're making uh they're making a documentary about weird and spooky places and they're like ah if you want this really spooky place you need to go here so on the way there their car breaks down well their car (laughs) their car is made to break down um and they uh they end up being invited to this house by this uh like ridiculously hot. I mean, I think uh, one of the one of the main character, one of the main psychos in this is Sherry Moon, who I think yes. is also Rob Zombie's wife. Yes, she's ridiculously hot. Also, and, yes, uh, and uh, you know she lures them in, and that's just like and and like there's this whole like and why like it's not like a it's not like a tease, but it's also not like something that's like an exercise in just building dread. Like the second you meet these people, you cut to oh, and by the way, there have been a bunch of cheerleaders that have gone missing before the movie ever started, and they are definitely chained up like in different places throughout the house, um, <laughs> you know, and and horrible things have been done to them. But it's like it's so it's neither a secret nor is it like ominous it's just like oh no it's like these people are in for a bad time but then they go and it's just like hey we're gonna put on like a weird like psycho burlesque show for you first it's like it's uh it's just so it's so much its own like visual like like you were saying about beyond the black rainbow it's so much it's like own unique experience and vibe that despite the fact that you know so much of what goes on it is like objectively horrific and your worst nightmare um, it's just like it's weirdly 
like fun and you kind of root for the bad guys or at least you just want to know what's going on with them like yeah. please tell me more about like these people and and what's going on with them and then at the end it takes an even more crazy turn because they they capture and they murder most of these people but the last survivors they lower down into a pit and then the movie becomes this whole other thing which is there's like this underground uh pit that they just live on top of that's filled with like you know blind cannibal insane people that just wander around in the dark you know over and and then it's like it's literally like like I said again, it's like a Dungeons and Dragons or heavy metal set or something like that. It like it makes no logical sense that this could be here, but it's great. It's just like the whole set is great, and uh, it does not have a happy ending. But it's fine because you you didn't like any of the people who who, and you didn't really care if they got away anyway. So uh, yeah, you know, probably the most I've ever liked like a a sort of splatterpunk horror movie. Hmm before in my life and i know that suppose like the sequel the devil's rejects is even more well regarded so i will well, probably watch that at some point so i mean i'm i'm glad that you liked it but i'm also surprised because like um i know a lot of people don't and the devil's rejects for me was like the far better movie but i'm wondering how you'll feel about it because i feel like a lot of the things that you're liking in Get toned uh, how, down. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the thing is like the, the next the Devil's Rejects. I feel is like has a much more straightforward narrative, and I thought overall was just a pretty good movie. But like the intense, like visual, uh, and well, the, the the intense visuals, and then just kind of like the overwhelming like what is going on? Why is this happening? Sensation that is left behind so yeah if you do follow up you'll have to let me know because i'm wondering if i'm wondering what kind of zombie you're gonna turn out to be (laughs) Nah, it was just uh i think i like i think i just like that you know rob zombie manages to make horror movies that just don't feel quite like what you would expect them to be so it's like it's like this movie was you know like it did not feel dialed in it was just like it's i mean and like one of the characters in the movie feels like a proxy for rob zombie and he's like uh he's like uh you know he's he's taking these uh you know he's taking these people and he's he's chopping them up and then he's like you know he turns one dude into like a merman by like cutting him in half and like oh, stitching the amazing a fish tail fish to boy. Him. yeah and he he's like constantly explaining to people it's like no 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 i don't do this because like it's not like a weird uh, sex thing or psycho thing for me. This is my art, and I need you to appreciate my art. <laughs> and it's like I just feel like that's Rob Zombie's whole brain. He's like, yeah. He's like, I. He's like, I get that this doesn't feel like art to you, but you know, a lot of a lot of time and work and consideration goes into all of this. It's very, it's very personal. It's well staged, and it's right from the inside of my brain, and it's my gift to you, people. You know, I and think so about I like that. that. I think about that sometimes like uh with whenever there is a serial killer or some other sort of like you know people hunter in a movie and they find his lair or or her lair it's usually him you know serial killers they'll, they'll find yeah like whatever horrifying art it was being worked on that should have been a clue but yeah what if uh 
what if what if it is just their art and what if it's good you know <laughs> like then what do you yeah. like what if you're like oh wait like yeah this nightmarish thing that is made out of people parts is a pretty fucking good sculpture hmm. i mean i guess i guess what i'm saying is it feels what i like about rob zombie is he feels like genuinely counterculture to me in a way that like most modern yeah like, I, i'm gonna go off the rail i'm gonna uh you know you can you can stop recording whenever now i'm just i'm just no uh, it's zombie time baby so so uh, but i feel like most and i was reading an essay about this recently that sort of horror like it it bummed me out because he was saying like there is no counterculture in the united states anymore that like for most of uh the 20th century you had like this this clear distinction between like what the normies liked and like you know the stuff that was upsetting to the normies and made them uncomfortable and uh you know it was like you know you had ronald reagan and then you had you know uh the texas chainsaw massacre and those two things were just for two like one of those things was like for most people and then one of those things was like the thing that was like a middle finger to those people and they were just not enjoyed but like one of the fucked up things about the 21st century and the way capitalism has invaded everything is that it's slowly taken everything that was supposed to be counterculture and has made it kind of safe and consumable so that the kind of people who, uh, so that, and you know, I should say, I don't have anything against people. Like when I say normies, I don't mean it in like the Kyle, awful we, pejorative sense. Anyone it's listening like, to this doesn't like normies either. And if anyone is offended hearing that, well, sorry, you're a normie. <laughs> it's like I just don't mean it's like I don't mean some people they use the word normie and then like the next sentence usually involves some sort of eugenics so uh, <laughs> I don't know who you're hanging out with Kyle I that rarely eugenics. comes up when I'm around the use and use the word normie <laughs> I mean I think it was Bill Burr who said we need to put like everyone who wants to go on a cruise ship like on the cruise ships and then nuke them with submarines so it's like yeah. that's it's like I just feel like there are a lot of people who were bullied in high school who feel like anyone who likes anything mainstream should be rounded up and shot. So I don't feel that way. That being said, I do appreciate that that dialectic process, that conflict between what is mainstream and what is obviously outside and unacceptable to the mainstream uh, produces like great conversations and has great reverberations. And a lot of the great art is outside of the mainstream. Um, and it's just like one of the things that capitalism has done is it's taken – you know, arguably even, and I hate to I hate to call them out because I love their movies, but shit like A24, basically their whole business model is let's take concepts and ideas that were previously like counterculture and let's repackage them as very slick prestige, hmm? you know, uh, movies that everybody can feel pretentious and smart for liking, but it doesn't make anyone actually upset. Um, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't make power upset, or it doesn't speak truth to power, or or truth to respectability. And you know, a lot of stuff works like that. A lot of stuff that you know, you a lot like a lot of genres like horror and heavy metal and stuff like that have just been so eaten alive that they are now just inseparable from what's mainstream and what's yeah. what's what's cool. And what I like about Rob Zombie is his stuff does not feel that way still. Like his, like when you were watching House of a Thousand Corpses, you were like, "Oh no, I could still show this to my like friends who like you know like a twenty four and claim to like horror movies." And there's a chance it's going to make them upset. Uh, I would agree with with just about all of that. Uh, I don't have anything to add to it though, other than that it is. I don't know. I guess it's a bummer that there isn't that line anymore. I like to think it's a good thing that things that were previously too 
spooky and ooky for the mainstream uh, now have like a wider audience to appreciate them and are less weird. But like, I don't know. I felt this way about like a few different things in my life where like video games, you know, were something that used to be very nerdy and niche and now everyone plays them. Horror movies, uh, a lot of the music I like. And I don't know. Like, I don't feel like I personally suffer from that lack of a dynamic, but in a way, like, and I don't know if this was what Rob Zombie was getting at, but like, it is kind of nice to have an us versus them mentality you're a part of. Like. No, it's just, it, it reveals, like, uh, going back, so, like, to be honest, I, I realized who I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, is it? What's the guy's name? Who's the guy who made Pink Flamingos? Something Waters. John Waters, who also yes. came to mind because I recently saw uh, Pink Flamingos for the first time, and I was like, "That is still counterculture. That yeah. is still very much, yeah, yeah. not I something mean, that's, that's what, acceptable like, now." Pink, Pink Flamingos and and House of a Thousand Corpses, ironically, feel like they belong in the same conversation because they're both just this gallery of weirdos who you would not like invite to your fundraiser. Um, yeah, you know. well, and that's when you when you say those two together, that I do like more and agree. well, and you know the the further co-opting and and capitalization of things, you know, you talk about just upsetting things, but like with the whole John Waters thing like uh in his in that movie, it's it's full of people who would currently identify as queer, you know, whatever they individually identified in back in the day. Uh, but they're not cute, cuddly queers. No, they're like, they're punk rock weirdos. And there's a scene where they, they cannibalize a bunch of cops for trying to break up their party. Like that, and that's, that's another thing that does bum me out is, yeah, like, great about general societal queer acceptance, but like, it comes at the cost of having all of that sold back to you. <laughs> and yeah, like watching Pink Flamingos, that's like, oh no, John Waters wasn't selling this to fucking nobody. <laughs> like yeah. he he put what he wanted in a movie and didn't give a shit. <laughs> <sighs> Alright. I think that's that's all I have to say about mainstream and counterculture right now. Yeah. Well, except this. So another another bummed out example of this was like, it's just like, even if you mostly like mainstream stuff, it's like the ma- like the idea is that that stuff filters down and inspires like the next generation to do something that you know is is its own thing and is new. And instead, what we have, like, we basically have this culture that's and everybody feels the exhaustion of this. That's like perpetually retreading and remining the same nostalgia over and over again and this essay i was reading is like that is that is like i don't it's both a symptom and part of the cause of like the collapse of countercultures we don't have anything outside of the mainstream to look to so we just you know we we're just the snake eating its own tail over and over and over again and he was like he pointed out like i didn't know this was true but apparently like in music right now if you look at spotify playlists or spotify sales like the top performing uh songs on spotify for like the last three years have all been songs that came out before 2020 
like in 2022, all the hit songs came out before 2022. In 2021, all the hit songs came out before 2021. Like apparently the number one song on Spotify for three years running has been Ed Sheeran's Shape of You. Which Good I just, Lord. Right? When you say that, something inside you dies. Oh. Yeah, that is. I mean, I, I, I used to work at a Best Buy and... To this day, I have the music from the promos that would play on all the TVs seared into my mind. There's like a like a, a tattoo of 2006 somewhere on my brain. Um, and Ed Sheeran is the kind of music that belongs in that soundtrack. It's just, it's not horrible, but it's, yeah, it's that shit that goes on in the background of stores to placate you. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to start a fight with Ed Sheeran playing in the background. <laughs> oh, God. Kyle, where, how, how did this happen? <laughs> we were, we, I, I felt so good at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> no, this is good. It's, I mean, it's like, like, uh, you know, Panos Cosmolatos, or however you say his name is still out there. You know, Rob Zombie is making, is making the new monsters, which will probably just be disappointing, but you know, uh, something cool could happen. We don't know. Well, I guess on that note, let's wrap this baby up and count on <laughs> something cool happening in the next two weeks. So when we return to, to describe our further nerd bullshit, uh, we will not have to cannibalize and regurgitate the same cultural garbage that everyone else has. And we'll, we'll be doing our own little... <laughs> Rob Zombies and John Watersing in the meantime. Probably not. I don't know. I'm probably just going to play a bunch of video games and get fatter. What about you? Uh, for the rest of the day? Day, week, life, whatever. I, I, I got, I got 10,000 different things. I'm juggling 10,000 things to do at the same time. So I'll be fine. All right. Well, we'll be fine. Hopefully you will too. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>